Hey, everybody, good morning. I'm looking around. I'm excited. Uh, I feel like maybe this year we'll have some, uh, some leftover individuals uh, from the Christmas season who might be joining us this morning. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and stand up. I know you just sat down. Stand up. Greet someone next to you. Say hello. Introduce yourself. Hey, my name is Adam. I work on staff as the pastor of student ministries, which means I primarily work with middle school, high school, and college-age students. So if you're in one of those categories, I would love to meet you at some point. If not, just don't even bother. No, hey, I, I hope everyone had a great Christmas. The week after Christmas is difficult for me. I have a, I have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. I woke up 364 more days. There were no visions of sugar plums. I swear there arose such a clatter in my house and it was not a happy moment. I, you know, I felt like I should call the police or something. You know, the week after Christmas isn't, uh, isn't as fun. So uh, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about anybody who might be, might be visiting this morning and I was like, man, what would uh, cause somebody to come uh, back to Mission View after Christmas? Uh, well, let me tell you, we... Um, we're a little skinnier. Uh, we don't dress quite as nicely uh, the week after Christmas and the rest of the year. Maybe around Easter we will. Um, but a lot of people come thinking, hey, maybe it's a, it's a good time to reconnect with the church uh, and then are disappointed when it's not, you know, uh, Christmas trees and, and gifts and uh, children singing and, and things like that uh, every single week. But uh, I do want to let you know that what we do the rest of the year at Mission View is we continue to celebrate. Uh, what we do, uh, as you've just observed, is we come and, and we sing and we worship God. We, we study His Word. We, we fellowship with one another. We serve one another. And uh, we, we do this the year round. So what we talk about uh, around Christmas, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and the, the birth of Christ, we continue that the rest of the year. So it's not just something that happens, uh, you know, once every 365 days. What we wanted to do this year was, uh, was keeping that in mind. How are we going to bridge the gap between Christmas and the rest of the year was uh, we want to continue reading about who Jesus is. So if you were visiting with us on Christmas Eve, you'll remember we looked at Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And so the idea for the next uh, maybe month or month and a half, maybe two months, is to continue reading through Matthew. So we're going to pick up today in Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to continue reading about who God is, uh, who, what he has done for us, who the person of Jesus is. The word Christian means little Christ. So our hope is that the more that we look at Jesus, the more we'll look like Jesus. 
Our hope is the more we look at Jesus, the more we'll look like Jesus. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Go ahead and open your Bibles there. Uh, one of the things that's going to help us as we start to look at this text is understanding the context a little bit. At Mission View, we believe that this book is the inspired Word of God. We believe that it's profitable for us in our lives. It's interesting. It's a compilation of 66 smaller books. Some are, are narrative-driven. Some are um, poetry. Some are letters. Some are exciting. Some are boring. Um, this book has, has an Old uh, Testament and a New Testament. Uh, it could be phrased an older covenant or promise, a newer covenant or promise. My wife wears two rings on her finger. One of them is an engagement ring and the other is a wedding ring. And when I proposed to her, the engagement ring was me talking about my intentions and how I intended and desired to marry her. And it was sort of the precursor to the wedding ring, which came a little bit later. And the wedding ring did not uh, supersede necessarily the engagement ring, but it came and fulfilled the promises and the intentions that I expressed to her. And through both rings on her finger, it tells kind of the whole story of our relationship. And that's similar with the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament talks uh, about quite a bit. In fact, it covers a lot larger period of time than the New Testament. The Old Testament talks about God creating everything, and then almost immediately sin enters into the world. And sin is this, this sickness or this virus that's a, an offense against a holy God, which has caused separation from God. And then the rest of the Old Testament talks about God's special relationship with a specific people that he chose, the people of Israel in particular. And over the course of years and years and years and years and years, we discover that the problem of sin that was introduced at the very beginning was actually a lot bigger deal than previously thought. It's sort of a, uh, Israel is sort of a case study on this problem. We see great kings and entire countries succumb to sin. We see entire nations refuse to hear words of prophets as they warn about sin. We, we learn about the consequences of sin, both natural and, and supernatural. And we learn about how sin has separated people from God that they were meant to have a relationship with. And yet, through the entire Old Testament, this whole case study, there's a small thread of hope. That's the Old Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's one of four accounts of Jesus's life, and he was a tax collector who became a disciple of Christ. And Matthew's uh, gospel focuses a lot on Jesus as the king of the Jews. So he utilizes that Old Testament context as he writes. He does that more so than Mark, Luke, or John. And as he opens with Jesus's birth, I always wondered why, why it is that around Christmas we sing, born is the king of Israel. And why we say a thrill of hope. The Old Testament has a thread of hope and the New Testament has a thrill of hope that begins with Christ being born. And so Matthew's book opens up with that in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then here's what's next. So if you have your Bible, open up. We're in Matthew chapter 3 starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw the, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. All right, this is God's word. We're going to be entering into a series for the next two months or so called Jesus Stories. Um, I have three questions that I think are going to help us as we read through the passage. All right. First, what is the message? What is the message? What is Matthew's message that he's telling his readers? What is John's message that he's sharing uh, with people that he is baptizing? Second, what is the response? What is the response to the message that is heard? And third, what is the result? What's the message? What's the response? What's the result? All right, let me, uh, let me pray for us. Lord, after, uh, after Christmas, uh, some individuals might uh, feel um, downhearted or, or saddened by uh, festivities and things being over. But I pray that as we uh, look at your word, we would find uh, more things to celebrate and rejoice in. Uh, as we learn more about you, God, I pray that we would learn more about who you are your love for us, what you've done for us in the person of Jesus, and how that would impact our lives. pray that as we read your word, you would help us to understand it, grow to a more full knowledge of who you are, and help us to worship you and glorify you better in that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so after the birth of Jesus, in Matthew 1 and 2, he picks up about 30 years later. And I got really excited when, when Pastor Matt told me that we're going to be doing these, these Jesus stories. So you can imagine my disappointment when I opened up chapter 3 and saw that it was, in fact, about his cousin John. Uh, I was also disappointed to see the content of what John talks about when his first word is in verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He came preaching. What did he come preaching? He preached, repent. Oftentimes, uh, this, was, this was discouraging to me because oftentimes we think that preaching or whoever speaks up here on a Sunday morning uh, is someone that should positively motivate us with some feel-good inspiration. Uh, and so for John to kick off his preaching with the word repent uh, isn't necessarily a message that we want to hear. The word repent means to do a 180. It's, it's, an, it's an about face. Word repent does not mean uh, to feel sorry about something and to continue doing it. The word repent does not mean to feel sad that you got your hand uh, caught in a cookie jar of sorts. Repent is a word that means to change direction from one thing to another. Repent means change. 
And in a, a world of kind of tolerant feel-goodery, repent is, is itchy and it's ugly. So uh, Merry Christmas. Thanks for, thanks for being here. By saying repent, what John is saying is we need a true realization of our present circumstances. Remember what I, what I just said about, about sin in the Old Testament as a, as a case study just in Israel? It's still around at this point in the story. Sin is still present. It's an offense against the holy God. And whether we like it or not, we have all been born sinful sinners who sin. It's a noun, it's a verb, it's all of the above. Uh, there is a, a, a band, uh, like kind of an alternative rock band from Canton called Reliant K. And in one of their songs, they say uh, about sin, I am guilty. I thought the thought whether or not that thought came through. And as we read through the New Testament, we learn a little bit more about sin. Uh, we learn a little bit more of the consequences of what, uh, what happens in our hearts. We learn more about our separation from God. But at its core, we know that God is holy and perfect and pure and good and morally excellent and right, and we are not. And so when we sin or disobey God's law or God's commandments, whether morally or, or ceremoniously, however you might want to look at them in the Old Testament, we create a separation from God because God, holy and perfect and pure and good God, doesn't participate with unholy sin. In fact, the word holy means set apart. So for him to start talking about sin is using the full weight of the Old Testament behind it. And then he continues. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember how I said he gave a lot of emphasis to the, the Jewish context. For him to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand would immediately mean something to those listening. Because at the present time, this chosen nation is under Roman occupation. And more interestingly, though, it would spark perhaps something from the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's something called the Davidic Covenant. It's a, a promise that God makes to King David. And in this promise, he expresses that from his offspring, God will establish his eternal reign. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, it says this, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And if you look at the beginning of Matthew, he opens up his book by giving a genealogy of Jesus and includes David in that lineage. So what is happening is John, by coming and saying, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he is saying that all that stuff that we have read and learned and know and hope for is happening now. We need to repent or turn or do a 180, not in, in some time or, or wait a little bit. We need to repent because it's here now. And then it goes on and verse 3 mentions an, another Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah about John specifically, which is sort of neat. But it shows what, what he's doing. It says that he is making way uh, or preparing the way of the Lord, making his path straight, this one crying in the wilderness. One of my favorite movies is called A Knight's Tale, uh, and it's about uh, a, a peasant. It's medieval. It's about a peasant who wants to uh, participate in the sport of jousting, uh, but in this sport, only the, no only the nobility is allowed to compete. 
And so he pretends that he's, uh, that he's a knight uh, when his knight dies. He, he takes his place and pretends to be a knight. And um, eventually he's walking down the road and finds a man who has nothing, no clothes, no money, no nothing, but he's a great writer and a great uh, orator. And he finds out that it's Geoffrey Chaucer. And he tells Geoffrey Chaucer that he will pay him a share of his winnings if he acts as his herald. So Geoffrey Chaucer uh, continues uh, ahead of uh, the knight, and he is shouting, hey, this is who is coming, and he's kind of like the first medieval hype man. It's a really great movie. You should see it. And John is acting as a sort of divine herald for the message that Jesus is coming with. He's saying this, hey, Jesus is coming. Here's what you need to know. His message is repent. And it's, it's strange because he's, he's eating locusts and wild honey and he's living in the wilderness and it doesn't seem like a particularly attractive message and it doesn't seem like a particularly attractive person. And this doesn't seem like a particularly attractive thing to talk about the first week after Christmas when repentance is on the docket. I was trying to think of a, a modern-day equivalent to John the Baptist, and I went through a couple of different people in my mind, and eventually I was brought to one individual. And um, I thought about staying home sick from school as a kid. I thought about staying home sick from school as a kid and seeing on TV this man. Hi, Billy Mays here for OxyClean, the stain specialist. Powered by the air you breathe, activated by the water that you and I drink. It's Mother Nature approved, then it's safe on your colored fabrics. Use it on carpets. OxyClean seeks out organic stains, pet stains, food stains. They get down into the matting, into the padding. It even takes red wine and grape juice out of white carpeting. It cleans, it brightens, and eliminates odors all at the same time. Don't just get it clean. Get it OxyClean. Make a paste. Make it 10 times as powerful. The longer you let it set, the easier it is. It'll whiten your grout and get rid of your toughest stains. Sometimes soaking is the solution. If you use bleach, you ruin your clothes. OxyClean won't hurt the material, even lace. It has the power of bleach without the damaging side effects of chlorine. When your laundry detergent just isn't enough, supercharge it with OxyClean. One scoop in every load of laundry, it'll make your whites whiter. It'll make your brights brighter. As That's Billy Mays. <clears throat> he became famous as a spokesperson for a great many infomercials. Some horrible, horrible products and some good products. He always has kind of the same style and, and shouting tone. Anybody in here buy any OxyClean? Anybody? A couple people. All right. The good sales pitches from Billy Mays were the ones that always started with bad news. The OxyClean sales pitch starts with this. If, raise your hand again if you, uh, if you bought some OxyClean. Let's see. The OxyClean, keep them up. Let's keep them up. <laughs> the OxyClean sales pitch starts with this. Look at you. You are messy. Sometimes the info, you can put your hands down. Sometimes the infomercial started with, look at you. You're an idiot. You don't know how to pour milk. You need this device, this milk-pouring device. When these commercials come on, though, what happens is it makes me look down at my shirt. 
John the Baptist, his message starts with repent. He starts with bad news, just like any good sales pitch might. He starts with news that should make us look down at our shirts. So the message needs to start here. Because repentance is the building block on which salvation sits. Jesus came to save sinners. So if we don't recognize sin first and the problem of sin, then we have no need for Jesus. So if maybe you, you, someone came uh, around the Christmas season and was like, I need my yearly dose of Jesus... And there is no mention in their life or their worldview of sin and repentance, then they probably don't have Jesus at all. John came and baptized individuals who realized their sinfulness before God. Now, baptism then was a little different than it is now. Now it's a, a public proclamation of a, of a commitment to them. Then it was more of a, a, uh, a fleeting, uh, a temporary sort of commitment to change. But I know that they got the message because it continues and it says, they, uh, they were baptized by him in the River Jordan confessing their sins. That's their response to the message of repent. What's our response? That takes us to the next section. What's, what's, the, what's the response? Verse 7 starts with this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Pharisees and Sadducees were, were half a, a religious entity and half a political party. And generally, they were looked at as, as sort of the religious elite. They were the ultra-religious seeming, seeming individuals. And they felt that this baptism that John is, is practicing here was only for non-Jewish individuals. They felt like there was, uh, the, verse 9 assumes that their response is, well, we're, we're Jewish, so we don't, you know, we don't need this. We don't need to participate. Verse 9 says, don't presume to say to yourselves, oh, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. They felt like they were excused from this, this whole ordeal of, of repentance. And there's a lot of things throughout Scripture that we see that often hinder people from hearing John's message or from hearing about Jesus. Here in Matthew, early, it kind of focuses just on this one. And his reply is that nobody is exempt. The message that starts with repentance demands an acknowledgement of who we are. It has to start with acknowledging this issue, that human, me human beings were made by God to have a relationship with God, and long ago, something in that relationship broke, and sin entered the mix, and now a holy God doesn't partic participate with sin. In recognizing the gravity of our sin first, then we can realize our need for a Savior. Do you recognize that? Do, do we, if we took a real, deep, honest look at ourselves and our lives, do we recognize the thing or the things that might hinder us from a relationship with God? And is repentance one of them? Let's, let's take a look at this video. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And... I can just feel it, like literally feel it. 
in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. I have heard, I'm not saying I've done this, but I've heard people use that in marriage relationship contexts. You know, husbands and wives having conversations with each other. No, I haven't done that. Sometimes it's right in front of us, though, and we don't even see it. We don't even realize it. We feel like something is in the way of our relationship with God, and maybe we don't see it, or maybe we know it's there and refuse to acknowledge it. Let me ask you something. Do you feel like you're exempt from this half of the gospel? Do you feel like you're exempt from the bad news side, from the need for repentance? If you have uh, some space in your notes, listen to a couple things. These are a couple things that might hinder us from hearing the gospel. Maybe it's the belief that all people are inherently good. Maybe it's the belief that all people are inherently good. I've seen the amazing things that that human beings can do. I've seen the diseases people have cured. I've seen so-and-so stop at this stop sign. I've seen all sorts of people obey rules and 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 care about one another and lift one another up. Maybe it's the belief that all people are inherently good. If that's the camp that you're in, you might be missing the repentance piece that John publicly proclaims ahead of Christ. Or maybe it's the belief that you inherently are a good person. Or maybe it's the belief that at least you're better than most others. At least I'm better than that person or that person or that person. If that is us, if we're in that category, we need to remember Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the word all includes me. Or maybe it's about, maybe it's about what I do. Maybe it's about my fruit, how hard I work, how much money I give away, how much I do for my family, how much I do for others, how much I serve, how often I visit the local soup kitchen, how many gifts I was able to give to my children, uh, all the things I'm able to do for my wife, how I clean up around the house. Maybe the, the good things that you do hinder us from that first message of repentance that John proclaims first. Here in this text, it says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Scripture also talks about being saved as a free gift of God, not by works so that no man may boast. 
Fruit doesn't save me. It is a byproduct of my union with Jesus. Or maybe it's, it's very religious. Maybe it's about all the religious things I do, about how much I go to church, how often I pray, all of my rites and, and rituals and customs. If you grew up in a, a Catholic context or maybe a more liturgical church, you might be in this category. We need to remember that Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Luke 5.32. And despite all of these things that I do, I am still a sinner. Or maybe you're in a different camp entirely. Maybe you feel like you are too far gone. Maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're saying, yes, I, I, I need repentance, sure, but it's too late. I need redemption of some kind, but it's probably too late for me. The things that have happened to me or the things that I have done are too big a deal for God to handle. In Romans chapter 7, Paul shouted this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I want to encourage you because you have the first part right. You have the first half of the gospel, which is the bad news, right. But, but, he follows it up with this, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus didn't live a perfect life and then die a, a criminal's death for us to take a look at this idea of repentance and the bad news of sin and say, nah, I'm good. Our response to repentance is everything. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if repentance is not a key component of your salvation, if it's not a key component of your life, you've missed it. If Christmas came and went and there was no realization of the gravity of your sin, you missed Jesus. One of the biggest complaints about Christianity is that Christians are, are hypocrites. And so the same uh, man that comes to church and is smiling and singing uh, that goes home and cheats on his taxes or cheats on his wife or is abusive towards his children is the type of man who probably says, yeah, I've got Jesus, but has no sort of recognition of sin in his life, no sort of recognition of repentance. Because if we cheapen the bad news of sin, then we cheapen the good news of salvation. If we cheapen the bad news of sin, we're going to cheapen what it is that God has done. So what's your response to the message of, of repent and, hey, recognize your sin because Jesus is coming? What's your response to that? Is it, oh man, I really hope that my wife hears this message. Or I really hope that my kids hear this message. Or this message would be great if uh, my cousin, whoever, was here. Sure, that, that, that may be true. Maybe uh, these people need to hear a message of repentance, but maybe it's us as well. Maybe it's the bystanders that John spoke to, or maybe it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All right, what's the result? What's the result? Starting in verse 11, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John says someone is coming after him, Jesus, who is mighty and worthy. 
And he uses some, some picturesque language here, yes, but we also know from looking at Scripture as a whole of certain truths. For believers, when you accept Christ, when you accept that I can't get to God on my own, so I need God to come to me, I need a Savior because I'm a sinner, when you accept and believe that, not only are you saved, but God imparts unto you the Holy Spirit. One of the members of the Trinity, and sure, that sounds very, yeah, very fanciful and all of that, but we just got done talking a little bit about change, the change that needs to be associated with repentance, this about face. And this person of the Trinity helps us and continues to make our lives one that is in keeping with repentance. For these believers, it also mentions fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The ready and willing disciple of Christ is not exempt from hardship, trials, temptation, persecution, or suffering that mold and shape and sharpen us to be more like Jesus. I once heard a story uh, that, that being a Christian is like being a, a chunk of gold. And uh, the way gold is purified is it is thrown into a pot and heated and heated and heated, and eventually the imperfections of gold rise to the top and they are scraped off. And then it is heated and heated and heated and heated, and eventually the imperfections of the gold rise to the top and are scraped off until before long you have gold that was purer than you first found it. The Holy Spirit helps to endure this repentant life and purifies us to make us more like Jesus. We call that sanctification. It means to be made holy. But there is also another end result of this message that, that John is kind of heralding. Watch out, because Jesus is coming. There's an end result that is not just temporal either. It's eternal. Verse 12 says that there is fire that is coming for those who heed and hear the message as well as those who do not. And John uses this metaphor of wheat in a barn to express that there will come a time where God will separate out the good grains from the bad. At Mission View, one of the things that we believe in here is that there is a heaven, but also that there is a hell. We believe that someday God will call all of us to give an account for our lives and bring righteous judgments upon us according to what we have done in this life and according to how well we have or have not heard the message of Jesus. I heard one time a story of, uh, uh, I, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was. It was some sort of celebrity, I believe, uh, who was on a, a late night talk show. Uh, and he was being interviewed about his faith. And believe it or not, that's actually not very uncommon. If you, if you go searching for it, you can find lots of celebrities and individuals who would talk about their faith uh, on live television. And, um, they, were, they were sharing uh, about uh, this problem of sin. And the, the guest said, you know, if I sinned three times a day, if there were three moments of my day where I felt like I... Uh, uh, committed an act or an offense against the holy God in some way, shape, or form. That's about a thousand sins a year. And if we live to be about 70 years old, about 70,000 70, sins. And that's kind of a conservative estimate, I would say. Um, 
he's sharing with this, uh, this host, and he says, listen, I don't know. When you die and you are standing before God, I don't know who you're going to say has paid for your sins, but I know Jesus Christ paid for mine. I don't, I don't start talking about repentance and, and heaven and hell to end on some sort of sour note. But what I wanted to do this morning was share the bad news first because that is vital to understanding the good news. The good news is that God did not decide to leave us wallowing in sin. The good news is that God uh, didn't create the world and then seeing the problem decide to turn his back or, or sit on his hands and do nothing. Instead, what happened was he sent his son to pay the price that I deserve, and now I can have a right relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you're a believer and you say, I have accepted Christ, is repentance still a foundational building block for you in your faith? Is repentance something that you practice? When was the last time that you repented to God? When was the last time that you acknowledged your sinfulness before someone else? Uh, if you did wrong to uh, your, your wife or your kids or your long-estranged brother, when was the last time that you attempted to reconcile that relationship with a heart and a spirit of repentance? A heart and a spirit that isn't just, I'm sorry, but I'm going to turn now and begin pursuing God wholeheartedly. Pursuing God wholeheartedly in my relationships. Pursuing God wholeheartedly in the, way I, in the way I work with integrity at my workplace. Pursuing God wholeheartedly in the way that I, I do my taxes. Pursuing God wholeheartedly in the way that I look at women. Pursuing God wholeheartedly in the way that I, 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 I talk about my spouse behind their back. Is repentance a foundational building block for you in your life? If you're here as a, as a guest, or maybe you're, you're off, coming here off of the uh, Christmas season, and you're hearing some of this for the first time, I want to ask you, how will you heed the call to repentance? Sin is sort of an ar archaic term, yes. But what do you believe about yourself? Oh, at my core, I'm good. Or do you say, hey, wretched man that I am. How will you hear, heed the call to repentance? Because it's here now. Don't wait. Don't say, well, eventually sometime I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to God. Eventually, after I uh, sow my wild oaths in my youth and, and go and party in my college years, or after I finish doing this, that's when I'll bring my repentance to the table before God. No, start now because it's sinners who need a Savior. In just a minute, we're going to sing a, a song called Come As You Are. Come As You Are. And I realize that this is sort of a, a, a heavy message this morning of repentance and sin and, and hell and all of these things. But the good news is that we have a Savior. The Christmas message and the message that John is heralding that's about to come is Jesus Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died a perfect death as a perfect sacrifice in order to perfect some very imperfect people, and that's you and that's me. 
Uh, after uh, the service this morning, there's going to be some individuals uh, down here who would love to pray with you. If you have something that you want to repent of or share, or maybe you uh, want to learn more about the good news side. Now, if you've acknowledged and accepted the bad news side, you want to continue learning about the good news, come and talk to one of these people. All right, let me pray. God, you are good and you love us. Lord, I am so thankful that you have not decided to leave us. I recognize, Lord, that I am, I am wicked. Wretched man that I am, Paul says. I, I'm, I'm like that. <laughs> Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. I, I'm like that. I realize that I, I can't get to you on my own. I can't be good enough. I can't give generously enough. I can't be a good enough employee. I can't be a good enough parent. I, I, I can't do enough to earn my way to you. And I'm thankful for the fact that instead of that, you have come down to us. Around Christmas, we call Jesus Emmanuel, meaning God with us. You have come to us in order to take care of the problem that we could not. I pray that you would help us to have a heart and a spirit of repentance that acknowledges who we are as sinful sinners before you, but also could acknowledge who we are as saved saints all through Jesus. We pray it all in his name. Amen.